listening to First Church Charlotte. Preaching today from this subject, Is There Room for Me? Is There Room for Me? Before I dive into that, let me just say today is Lesson 2 of First Steps. And um, Pastor Nathan Mellix and myself teach this lesson today. I know it's confusing. My name's Nathan. His name is Nathan. The way to tell us a different is if you say Nathan and you want to preach, that's me. And if you say Nathan and you want to sing, well, that's him. And so that's how you can tell us apart. But uh, we are wanting to get to know any of you uh, who can come to that First Steps class and get to know the church. Uh, All right, let me save my scriptures for a little while later in the message. Let me just jump right into this. Uh, One of the most moving stories I've ever heard a preacher tell, and as you know, preachers are in the business of telling uh, moving stories. One of the best preaching stories I've ever heard told is um, a a story told by my father-in-law who grew up the son of a sharecropper in northern Louisiana, and they were farmers, lived a good ways out from the town, and even in the town, they had one stop sign, so, I mean, it wasn't much of a place to be, and uh, he grew up working on that farm, you know, uh, helping his dad, but not really around a lot of people, uh, except for the small school that they had not too far away, so every Sunday, him and his sisters would sit on the porch Uh, They didn't have a car to drive to church. They had a tractor, but you can't carry a family on a tractor. Uh, And so the neighbors, as they were coming to church, they would drive down that state highway and they would uh, pull down that long gravel road. I've actually been to this place. And uh, the kids would look to see how many seats were in the car that was coming to pick them up because if there was enough seats, then they got to go to church. So there was one seat the oldest girl was able to go. Um, and it kind of went down by age like that. And uh, Brother Nugent grew up wanting to go to church, but a lot of time not being able to go because although he was dressed up in his Sunday clothes, uh, by the time his sisters took all the seats, there was no room for him, which is a great lesson. Don't let your sisters send you to hell. So, uh, <laughs> oh, easy, easy. <laughs> Just, just having fun. <laughs> um, no, uh, and, but he, he tells the story like this where uh, it put a deep love in him for the house of God and he grew up wanting to go to church. Well, I, I grew up living, uh, for the early years of my life, living five or four houses down from the church. And we walked to church um, and I would get ready and my early memories of church, I don't remember the, you know, way back uh, when they were signing the Declaration of Independence like at that time. But I, I do remember uh, those years, and we'd get dressed, and I would walk to church, and just three or four houses down. The result of that was that my early memories are being at church actually more than I wanted to be at church. Y'all don't tell anybody I said that, but that's how, that's how I remember it. In fact, I would be there uh, even on Mondays when the church was cleaned. Yes, but I didn't help cleaning. No, because kids are useless. You know, kids aren't any good cleaning. And so um, I would, we had a PV sound system, and I can still see it in my mind. I can still see the switch, and I would go turn the, the sound system on, and I would get my dad's microphone. And while my grandmother or my mom was cleaning the church, I would preach to them. And I was a harsh preacher. I preached against sin and unrighteousness, and I straightened them out, and I rebuked them in Jesus' name, and I cast the devil out of them. And I would just like to say the reason why my grandmother's in heaven and my mother is saved is because... (laughs) 
is because as a young man, I got them prayed through. That's the, that's the good news. The bad news is I got all my preaching, judgment preaching out of me when I was young. So now everybody thinks that I'm just all love and grace. Well, it's true, I am, because I put my grandmother and mother in the very pit and got it all out of my system. Uh, and so now I'm a grace preacher, but um, it is uh, great memories. And uh, church, let's be honest, church becomes a celebration in many ways of, of goodness and a celebration of rightness and right living and righteousness and uh, whether we're talking about uh, parenting or marriage or talking about, you know, getting your finances organized and getting your credit under control and, you know, getting your debt to society paid and what, whatever we're talking about, a church in many ways can have this feel of a very orderly, safe, even conservative environment. And that's not wrong. Though All those things are all right, but here's the reality. It's easy for people, particularly in this hour when there is so much change in our social structures. In this hour where there's so much change in the manner in which we are choosing to live, it's easy for people to begin to wonder whether or not they fit in this gathering of <laughs> perfect little lives, which is misconception, or perfect relationships, which is misconception, uh, their life doesn't look like that. Uh, this morning, I, I, I was standing out front uh, greeting people in our 9 a.m. service, and uh, as people was coming in, and I, I, I saw, forgive me for picking on you, Anthony, I, I only do it every Sunday, so... Um, I saw Anthony and he come in with uh, Miranda and there's his, his, his boy and his girl and they just looked so beautiful walking into the church and both the kids came and hugged me and, and I, it was just awesome and, and I thought to myself, what a, just a beautiful family and um, I, you know, good examples and church becomes the celebration of that but here's the reality. A lot of people, it didn't, you know, they may have wanted something like that, but it didn't really work out exactly like that. And now they're left with this sense of uh, not to be ugly, not to be in any way trouble, troublesome, but do I really belong here? Is, you see, let me, let me try to give you, uh, oh, so there's a lady, uh, attends our church, I won't tell you who she is because it's none of your business, but um, she one day showed up for first steps and she was the only one. And usually, almost every time that happens, it's a God thing. My wife can tell you, almost every time just one person shows up for first steps, um, it's, it's usually a God thing. And uh, my wife and I sat at a table with just her, and we started talking, and within minutes she was weeping, and she told us her story about how she, she had been married, and they had, I think they, at that time, they had four children married. She thought her life was perfect. Her husband was one of the leaders of the church, and, um, and she, you know, just everything was great. And then one day she found out that uh, she wasn't the only family that her husband had. Um, and she went from feeling like her life was all together to it being utterly destroyed. And um, she, she said from that day until this, she had not been able to turn, attend church. And she's just weeping. She said, because I, I, I became an object of shame. And although I told myself that it wasn't my fault, I could not stop feeling like I don't belong here. I'm an embarrassment. I am, if, let me just 
say right here that if you if if the enemy has been saying that to you, if he's been saying to you that you don't belong, I want you to know God sent this preacher to give you a word from the Lord for today and to lay this issue at rest once and for all. God makes a place for everybody. And there are no higher than others. There's no lower than others. The ground is level at Calvary and there is room for you. I'll never forget, um, a a young lady had gotten into the church. I didn't know she was a PK. Um, She she started attending our church, came to First Steps, got to know her, got to know her kids. I I knew she was single um, and I knew she had uh, children, but that's all I knew and I didn't care. I loved her children. Her children were amazing. I loved them and, um, you know, everything was well. I didn't know she was a PK until one day. Uh, we had a special event here at the church a couple years, well, a little more than that, years back, and her mom and dad came, and I found out, standing right here, all at once, that she was a PK, and uh, she had grown up in their church, and uh, I, was, I, I was kind of, you know how you, when you get too much information at once, you're kind of like, oh, oh, oh praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm get, get all this information hitting me right here, and then, much to my horror, her mother started telling me about how her girl, who was doing good in our church, um, she, basically she knew better and she had made a mess of her life. And, uh, and standing right there, and her daughter went from, this is my pastor, to until finally she just was frozen. And I'm like getting sick in my stomach. I, like, I don't know what to do. I, and finally I start defending her. You guys know how I do that sometimes. She's, I'm like trying to speak life to her. And here's the reality. Now let's, let's not see this in terms of judgment. Let's try to understand it. Her mother loves her more than I ever could. There's no love that can compare with her mother's love. But here's the difference. I was able to accept her even though I didn't love her as much, and let her start over. And her mother, even though she loved her more than anyone in the world, was struggling with allowing a new day to dawn in her daughter's life. And she could not move beyond the pain of yesterday to see hope for tomorrow. And this tension, hear me church, this tension is a part of what healthy church is all about. This tension, uh, right living, good choices, responsible behavior, prudence, temperance. Somebody say amen. All that stuff's good. And at the same time, open hearts, open arms, awareness of God's ability to change us, an openness to God's ability to start wherever someone, wherever someone is. This exists in tension in, um, in our church. Um, a couple of you young people are going to help me real quick. Would you guys run up here? Who, who's helping me this service? Okay. Um, there's some, y'all get my dumbbells. I have some dumbbells outside. And um, we're getting ready to have a demonstration. You stand right here. Now, you're going to be very, very sick. Do you think you can act like you're very, very sick? Oh, he's barely making it. You're cough for me a little bit. Now, now just kind of say, oh, God. There you go. There you go. Okay, I'm about to die up in here. Okay, okay. Now, you, you're like the fitness, fitness queen, okay? So you're going to take these dumbbells. I want you to be like, mm. got to make gym noises. You know how bros do, you know. Yeah, that's right, see. Say, give me that growl. Okay, this is a picture of health, strong, uh, able, fit. And over here, 
Give me, oh God, I'm barely making it. Okay, oh God, he's barely making it over here, all right? Over here we have the fitness of help. Here is the reality. This person is in a health club, and this person is in a hospital. Do you see? Okay, you don't have to burn yourself down here. She's like, my God, the preacher's about to kill me up in here. So, so this is what I want you to see. This person is strong, healthy. Now, the, the, the tension that exists in a church is we have to reconcile both of these realities. That's what we have to do. We have to admit that there are choices that will make your life better. We have to admit that, that prudence and temperance and good living turns into testimony. Can I have an amen? Now, at the same time, we have to be open to the fact that that's not where people start. Now, the way churches sometimes solve this tension is um, in uh, healthy ways and sometimes in unhealthy ways. The unhealthy way is to think, here's unhealthy, if we allow this sick brother in the church, then it will make our strong sister weak. Now, that's an unhealthy way. That means you're only as strong as your strength. Do you see how that is unhealthy? That puts the focus on you. You're good because you are doing the work. Not Christ has done the work, but you're doing the work. And you are doing. And if you hang out with people who are weak, then it will destroy the church. That's an unhealthy way. That is a solution of exclusion. A solution of exclusion. What is the biblical way? You can set your weights down, set them right here. The biblical, this is the biblical way, not a solution of exclusion, but a solution of reconciliation, which goes like this. Can you help me? I have a brother over here who's very sick. I know you're strong. Could you help him walk back over to his seat? Could you help him? Thank you so much. Give these young people a hand for helping me here. That is not exclusion. That is a biblical word, theological word. That is reconcile the strong to the weak. And here's the reality. As long as a church settles on one, a lot of times they will pay lip service to the other. But they won't really be reconciled. This is a fleshly solution. So let's say we design everything in the church for strong people. Our church will feel like a health club. You go to a health club, there's mirrors on all the walls. Everybody's looking at themselves. They praise God for his goodness, but hey, we're pretty good too, you know, and everything is for them, but we pay lip service to the weak, okay? On the other hand, we can have a church where we're really for the weak and we pay lip service to the strong as if your life wouldn't get better with temperance, honey, it would. As if your life wouldn't be more blessed following spiritual instruction, honey, it would be blessed. Do you see the reconciled church is the one that is able to take strong and weak and unify it through the victory of the cross into the body of Christ. Why is this important and why am I preaching this way? You see, as long as we look at ourselves, we miss the point of why there's a church at all. If you're strong and you look at how strong you are, you're making just as bad of a mistake as if you're weak and you look at how weak you are. 
Some people won't begin a relationship with God because they're so sick. And they say some version of this, when I start living better, then I'll go to church. That is an error at its core. You do not wait until you have it together to start a relationship with God. You start a relationship with God, and then you start begin getting better and stronger. And what was trial becomes testimony. But you're not done then. The goal is not to flex in the mirror. The goal is to go find someone and give the same spiritual promise that you received, now you freely give. Do you see? You've got to have both. I, this week in prayer, uh, the last, last couple of years, I've kind of changed the way I prepare for Sunday, and I, I, used to, I used to look for good ideas more, and now I try to get something in my spirit, which is scary because sometimes I get something in my spirit, and I don't have a single good idea on how to preach it. True story. I know, I feel something needs to be preached, and I want it to be good because you guys are giving me your time, and it's, it's an honor to have anybody give you their time, particularly in this day and age, and I, I want to do right by you. I want to do, I want it to be good, but I, I feel something that needs to be preached. I don't have this good idea. This week in prayer, I, I felt this reality of people because their life doesn't fit some expectation they had for themselves. They are falling susceptible to a lie from the enemy saying church isn't really the place for them. Church isn't really for people like them. They don't have a postcard life. They don't have a pretty background. They don't have this story where everything worked out but instead there's too many tears in their background and there's too much pain in their story and as a result maybe church isn't isn't for them I want to stand against that lie from the enemy and I want to I want to illuminate it as a lie from hell church does not begin when you get churchy church begins with you where you are opening your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ Everything from that moment forward is not the beginning of your duty. It's the beginning of your worship. Whatever you can do to incline your heart toward God is not deserving of salvation. It is worship. It is acknowledging God. It's putting God in his holy heaven and open your heart to what he can do in the here and now. Don't let your yesterday be a curse upon your future. We cannot fall into this habit of thinking we're churchy enough or our, life's, our life is kind of orderly enough or anything like that. This is misleading in, misleading in the extreme. Jesus shows us in the scripture a ministry of radical acceptance. Do you hear what I just said? I know I used the word radical, but I want to show you because you probably rush past these scriptures in the Bible. Five groups of people that represented an offense to the religious order of things, but Jesus turns religion on its head by publicly and much to much criticism and reproof and a rebuke. He openly excluded. So remember, in the Old Testament, the people of God have made themselves holy by exclusion. This represents a sincere effort on their part 
to get purity right. They are not all of them bad people. They're just people. And I mean bad in the sense of how we view one another. It's helpful when we view one another with kindness and not with judgment. And so they're not, they're just people. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Some of them good people do some bad things and sometimes bad people do some good things. It's, it's a heart problem. So we can't really uh, be very wise if we just throw labels and categories at everything. But here's these people. They're trying to, they're trying to get this right and they have scripture and they have law. And so their solution to the purity problem is exclusion. And what they have done is they have practiced the identification of pure impurity represented in others and they have ordered their religion and their hearts in such a manner to keep themselves away from impurity. This is not all wrong, but it can be taken to an extreme. Let me say that again. This is not all wrong, but it can be taken to an extreme. On one hand, if you read the law of Moses, you can see that these limits of access to holy places are a part of reverence and worship. But when Jesus in the temple runs out the money changers and the vendors and rebukes them, he shows how it's been taken to an extreme. He's standing in the court of the Gentiles and it's a bazaar. It's a place where you can go and you don't have to think about your sacrifice. You just show up and buy whatever you need there. It is a convenience for Jewish people. He rebukes them and he says this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. Jesus says this standing among the, in the Gentile court. This was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. What have they done? They've made sacrifice convenient by taking the place that was reserved for newcomers to Yahweh and turning it into convenience for themselves, and Jesus rebukes it. This is the same tension. So in the Old Testament, they keep themselves pure by exclusion. And there are, shown to you in Scripture, uh, at least five different types or groups that I'll talk about in just a moment that Christ flips the, the table on, flips the script on, and changes how we view these areas. So remember, all churches wrestle with this, the strong and the weak. And the weak always wonder, do I really belong here? The person coming to God always wonders, is there a place for me? First group is women in, uh, in first century Palestine. A woman's place was very much limited to her family. Uh, her, in fact, I'll read you a quote from one of the rabbis of this time. Quote, it is the way of a woman to stay at home. And it is the way of a man to go out into the marketplace. Now, this isn't right or wrong in itself. Uh, whatever you uh, choose to do, um, it's, there's not a scriptural invocation. But in the minds of the rabbis, women had a limit drawn around them. And that was the limit of their, of their family. 
Uh, they had very little to do outside of that world. Also, uh, they were not allowed into the inner places of worship. Uh, also, they were not taught literacy. They were not taught to read and write. Now, the Jewish boys were commanded by the Torah to be taught to read and write as part of their worship. Women were excluded from this. Further, men could not even speak to women without being labeled a person of low morals. Now, Jesus shows up, and he immediately flips the script on this, and not only does he speak to women, but he does it publicly, and he talks to them about spiritual things. He gives them honor when he heals the woman with the issue of blood. He calls her a daughter of Abraham, which is a title of honor not often used for women. What was common to the ear of the day was a son of Abraham, a mark of covenant. Jesus calls her, this woman, unclean, a daughter of Abraham. And when he speaks to her, he acknowledges her of this, uh, this daughter of Abraham. Furthermore, Jesus' ministry is supported uh, by a, a fair number of uh, women who are uh, not in any type of traditional family. Uh, they are uh, either single or they are widows. Jesus bears the criticism of a whole generation to make a point that there is room for you. The second group that is unheralded, uncelebrated is the poor. Jesus humanizes the poor in his teaching. He elevates them and then he speaks about them as part of his purpose. The reason why he's here, he says this, <clears throat> excuse me, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, he says to his disciples in Luke 6, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he told his disciples a story that was a spiritual illustration. And it was basically this, that you should have a banquet, but instead of inviting your peers who you are wanting to impress, you should instead invite the poor. You should invite the crippled. You should invite the lame, the blind. And the Bible says you will be blessed, Luke 14, 13, and 14. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The next category that Jesus takes a rep reputational hit for engaging is the unclean. Lepers represent the largest group of people who are unclean. They have no access to civil life. They have no access to spiritual life. The very first chapter of the book of Mark, a leper calls out to Jesus, asked to be healed, and Jesus shocks a whole generation because he does not abide by the required law of staying so far away. He walks closer and closer and closer, and then when he does but then he shocks them all when he breaks the law and touches the unclean why there's room for you in uh, this place you are not separated from God yes there are some who say unclean but if you'll spend a moment in his presence you will see that Jesus can touch the unclean and make it clean Second story, the woman with the issue of blood, she is unclean. She commits a social 
uh, faux pas, shall we say. Uh, she breaks the polite culture, shall we say, when she, an unclean person, pushes through the crowd to touch Jesus. This is prohibited. She is unclean, but Jesus is not intimidated by the unclean nature of the needy heart because he makes all things new. And whether he is touching you or you are touching him, there is room for you in the house of God. Furthermore, there is political tension in this day. And there is this huge debate in Jewish culture whether or not a righteous person could have any interaction with Gentiles. In fact, one of the great battles between the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai was over this issue of whether or not a righteous person could have a friendship, even a business partnership, even say hi in the marketplace to a Gentile. And the school of uh, Shammai said they could not if they wanted to be righteous. The school of uh, Hillel said, yes, you could. It was not that strict. And so in the great, they had this disagreement at the house of one of the, the, the head guards of the temple um, police and the temple guards and uh, there were more, more students of Hillel at the vote. And so the guards started taking the students of Hillel outside and killing them and then recounting until they had killed enough of the school of Hillel to pass a vote. This is right before the time of Jesus where a righteous person could not even speak to a Gentile. But Jesus does more than speak. A centurion comes to him with the need and Jesus hears his request and Jesus heals the centurion's daughter. How could you do anything good for a Roman, number one? Number two, how could you do anything good for a commander of the the, the, the occupying army, Jesus cares about things differently than we care about things. And Jesus is not held captive by politics. God help us not to be held captive by politics. We need to see the soul on the other side of the political spectrum. Can I have a big amen from you folks? This is a continual representation in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Lastly, there is racial hatreds between the Samaritans and the Jews. And Jesus uh, speaks to Samaritans. He gives miracles to Samaritans. The woman at the well is a Samaritan. And Jesus uses a teaching story of a good Samaritan. All of them are hated. Jesus is in the business of telling us that he has founded a spiritual way of radical acceptance. Everybody who you think doesn't belong in the church, I'm here to shock you and say Jesus may very well disagree with you about who belongs in the church. And so I'm coming to preach against that attack that comes against good people where the enemy makes a list of all the things that hasn't gone right in your life and then whispers to you and says, you don't really belong here. Your marriage didn't work out. Your career didn't work out. Your kids didn't really turn out the best as you had hoped. All you have is bad examples. You don't belong in the church house. I'm here to tell you, it's a lie from the pit of hell. If you have a heart for God, then God has a heart for you and God's going to do his best work in imperfect, broken people. 
And the next thing I want to say is those of you who look at other people in the church and you think their life turned out better, I want to say to you humbly, you don't know everything about their life. (laughs) And not every perfect life is as perfect as you might think it is. We all of us need mercy. Can I have a big amen? We all of us need spiritual renewal. And so it is that we see this in the word of God manifest in the life of Jesus that he breaks down the barriers and reconciles opposites. And so now I want to read you uh, my text for the message today. And all of these notes are available online if you want to download them. I'm reading Ephesians chapter number two and I'm reading verse number 14. For he himself, who are we talking about? Jesus. For he himself is our peace. Think about the consequences of that right there. For he himself is our peace. Where do we find peace? In Jesus Christ. Where do we find a bridge that's greater than our differences? In Jesus Christ. What stops warring one with another? Jesus. What stops competition in the church? Jesus. What stops the clash of ideological opposites? It is in Jesus. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one. We're talking about Jews and Gentiles and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, think about this, Jesus's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The entire ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. The entire ministry of Jesus Christ is a celebration of making an outsider an insider. Did anyone hear what I just said in the church house right now? The entire ministry of Jesus Christ is a celebration of taking orphans and making them sons and daughters. The Lord, the writer says in the scripture, delights at placing the orphans in families. So it is with all of us. Maybe your background is the kind of churchified background that's so awesome and so beautiful that when it rains, the water drops don't even touch you. You just walk in a halo of power and anointing. Maybe your life is like that. Or maybe you're like that PK who I stood with down here on the altar while she fought tears. And someone who wanted better for her didn't know how to let her start over. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how to start over. I don't know if I'm an embarrassment to that church or not. No, let me tell you something that is the exact opposite. If we don't have people with imperfect stories, we are the embarrassment not you because the church is a celebration of fragments that God has put back together again not everything is going to be beautiful in everybody's life some of you guys came from terrible upbringings and yet you're here letting your heart be open to people who aren't like you 
praying for blessing upon other people, other, other families, speaking encouragement one to another. Some of you come from broken families. Some of you come from broken marriages. Some of you are a divorcee who's decided to serve God in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your former spouse's shortcomings. You've decided, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a quitter, and I'm going to keep trying and keep working. I want to say to you this. You are not the embarrassment to the church. If a church cannot attract people like you, then we are the embarrassment because God showed us a way of radical acceptance, radical acceptance, radical acceptance. And yes, there is room for you in this church. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord right now. As the world changes and as the nature of our society changes and the nature of what constitute family changes, uh, it's natural for us to wonder about uh, how that's going to play out in the church. And yes, the church does celebrate things that are good things that may leave people wondering if I don't have that, do I still belong? Yes. Last month in Christianity Today, uh, the, article, the magazine theme was, Can the Church Save Marriage? And the whole article was about change of society, change of families and relationships, and can the church save marriage? Well, uh, look, there's only one answer. No, no, the church can't even save itself. <laughs> we need God. <laughs> can I have a big amen? Um, but the point they're trying to make is, uh, is, you know, how do we, you know, kind of emphasize this? And that, in my, my own thought process, in many ways, misses the point. I'm not unsympathetic to the magazine, and I actually like Christianity Today. I, I read it regularly. Um, but I, I want to say this to all of, uh, let me end this with a modern, a modern reality, Okay. Uh, let, me, let me be modern here for a moment. Let me just for a moment talk to all of our single adults who are serving the Lord anyway. Let me speak to all of you. Single adults serving the Lord anyway. Divorcees serving the Lord anyway. Let me just say this to you. When the enemy makes you wonder whether or not you fit because your life didn't turn out by the cookie cutter, I want to remind you that all of Christianity celebrates the life-giving sacrifice of a single man. Not just one man, but a man who was single. <laughs> don't let the enemy tell you you don't fit, you don't belong. Jesus' life, watch this, was witnessed by an extraordinary lineup of single women and single men. Much of the New Testament was written by a single, not just one, but a man who was single by choice that he could give his heart and his life to God. Further, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is witnessed first by a single woman. <laughs> not just one woman, but a woman who was single. The church would not be the church without the, contra the, the contribution of single adult believers. 
And so I want to speak a blessing over all of you single adult believers. And I want to tell you, this is your church too. And I want to tell you whenever it all piles on, and maybe you think it'd be better if you were in a relationship. I I don't know, maybe it would. The Bible says if you find a a wife, you find a good thing. But in the NJE version, it says if you find a bad wife, you found a bad thing. (laughs) The only thing worse than, uh... oh, Lord, I better... Let me just stop. Okay. I, 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 I want to speak a blessing. I know I'm doing this intentionally. I know I'm taking time. I don't even care. I want to speak a blessing over all our single adult believers who are striving to live for God in your circumstances. You show up when it would be easier to have someone to come to church with. And you choose to fight for your moral purity in a world that wants you to download an app and throw your moralities to the wind. You fight for it. And you fight to date as Christians would date. Not just, you know, flick to the left, flick to the right. You all know what I'm talking about. Don't be looking at me like that. I want to speak a blessing over all our single adult believers. And I want to say this to you. Most of the ministries of this church could not exist without your contribution. There will always be a place for you in the house of God. Would you stand with me all across the church? There's more I could say. Let me just say here at the end. Several of the New Testament churches were founded in the homes of single women. (laughs) Don't let the devil tell you you don't have a work to do just because you're single. Let me also speak to anyone who is divorced. Don't feel like that that has put you in some category of non-spiritual use as though you're past your sell-by date. Well, you might be past your sell-by date, but that's a different problem. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh, and you didn't. Now I feel bad. So I want to say, say, don't let the enemy destroy what you have been challenged, called, equipped, and anointed to do. The love story that's at the heart of the, work, the word of God is about, at the end of law, the Bride, the betrothed writing to his bride cancellation of their betrothal. That's in the story. Don't let the enemy tell you there's not place for you, that you're a second-class citizen, that you somehow have marred things and it's over. I'm here to tell you, this church is going to celebrate the way of Christ's radical acceptance. God wants to anoint you. God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. He is our hope. He is our promise. He makes all things new. So this is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray over you. Those of you who need to be dismissed or if you want to slip on out, 
feel free to slip out. There will not be another dismissal. But I'm gonna, after I pray with you, we're going to also open this altar up. And some of you who have been living with this attack in your life, I would like you to take a step of faith and step out and let some of our pastoral team speak life over you. You need to have them speak the name of Jesus over you so when the enemy attacks you, you are empowered in faith and spiritual confidence to shake off that attack. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual in this house. God, I'm praying that we as your people would manifest your heart. I'm praying that we as your children would demonstrate your love. Oh God, don't ever let someone walk out of your presence and feel in their heart that this church would not make a place for them. Lord, we want to celebrate your radical acceptance of broken, of hurting, of real wounded people. In Jesus' name we pray. I pray for every individual here. Let them be made strong in their faith. Let them be uplifted in their spiritual hope. In Jesus' name we pray and we give your name thanks today. Amen. This altar area is open. If you'd like to step out of the pew you're in, if you'd like to have someone anoint you with oil, if you need to go, God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.